Hey, thanks for tuning in to the latest sermon. We pray that it challenges you, blesses you, and ultimately that it would stir your heart's affection for Jesus. Enjoy. Let's pray together for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to come together as a, a community of, of faith. I thank you that we are more than even just community, but we are family. And so when we think of someone like Bruce passing away and Justine um, here still and, and just the, the heartache that goes along with that, I, I pray that you would raise up those of us who would be encouragers and comforters uh, to them in this time. I pray for the service today, Lord, that uh, we would hear from you that whatever it is that I have prepared or whatever it is the worship team has sung, that, that those words um, would resonate within our, our very souls, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would receive and hear uh, what we are meant to receive and hear today. So Lord, I ask that you would bless our time together. Bless it by making us very aware of your presence with us. And we commit all that we are and all that we have to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So what do we do with evil in this world? What do we do with evil people and evil actions? What is the Christian response to evil? In our parable today, Jesus is going to be addressing the problem of evil. And we know that the problem of evil and suffering is actually a pretty complicated and nuanced discussion. Historically, we've actually seen Christians committing their own evil acts in their zealousness to prevent evil. Let me give you an example of that. You could probably think of your own examples, but I'll give you a few. We can think of the Christians who were killing other Christians for things like not baptizing infants, but teaching adult baptism. I don't know if you're aware of this, but that was a big controversy. As soon as they started doing adult baptism, there were Christians who said, that's wrong. We've always baptized infants. If you baptize people as adults, you're a heretic and you're leading people into evil. And so what they did is they killed the Christians who practiced adult baptism. And they got really creative with it because sometimes they'd be like, oh, you like to be baptized? We're just going to keep dunking you in the water until you drown. There, now you're baptized. So Christians did that to other Christians because they were doing it wrong. And they were, they were zealous in keeping the church pure and free from evil. We can think of someone like William Tyndale the very first person to translate the Bible into English. And he was burned at the stake after being strangled. So I guess that's nice, at least he was strangled first. I don't know, how, like it's pretty terrible. But he was burned at the stake by the church and the government because they believed that it was a heresy to translate the Bible into English. And they also didn't like some of what he had to say about free will and, and some other kind of odds and ends theologically. But the point being, Christians, in their pursuit of trying to keep the church pure and free from evil, committed great evil themselves. And we can kind of just keep going through the list, right? We can go into more modern times and see what Christians were doing to one another in places like Ireland. And so what we find out then is that even our judgment on what is evil can be clouded by our own preconceived ideas or beliefs, and we might get it wrong. And if we get it wrong, we might do something evil ourselves. In our pursuit to purify things, we can often become corrupted ourselves. So the problem of evil and how to deal with evil becomes complex. But in our parable today, Jesus leads us to a place of simplicity and truth when it comes to the reality of evil in the world and our response to this evil. So here is the parable. It's picking up in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told them another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. Now, (coughs) as I read that parable, you might be wondering, how do you know this parable is about the problem of evil? It could be about anything, wheat and weeds and the kingdom of heaven and a farmer, like what in the world is going on in this parable? How do you make sense of it? Well, that's exactly what Jesus' disciples were thinking, which is why this is another parable that Jesus actually explains for them. But before we get to the explanation, let's understand that Jesus explicitly tells us that this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus begins, the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing good seed in his field. So let's understand something about when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a big deal to the Jewish people. Because there was this idea that the Messiah would come and establish a kingdom that was completely pure and righteous. And the Jewish idea was that if this kingdom that the Messiah was going to establish is to be completely pure and completely righteous, then definitely the Messiah is going to kick out the pagan Romans, he's going to kick out the unbelieving Gentiles, and he might even kick out other Jewish people who they didn't think were very pure or righteous. So in the Jewish mind, the kingdom of heaven would come through the Messiah, and it would be a totally pure kingdom, full of righteous and pure people. And Jesus then starts making the claim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. You can see that all over the place. And then the religious leaders, looking around at the pagan occupiers, the Romans, and unrighteous or unfaithful people, they question Jesus about this, on this declaration that the kingdom had come. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Now, the religious leaders would push back on Jesus for saying that the kingdom was near or that the kingdom was already among them because they'd point out evil still exists in Israel. It's not pure yet. And if the kingdom of heaven was here, why would evil still be present? That just didn't compute. You can't say the kingdom is here and have evil going on. And this parable begins to answer that question. If the kingdom of God is here, right here, right now, why is there still so much evil or suffering? But of course, the parable is not easily understood, so the disciples ask Jesus, can you clarify this for us? And he does as we come into verse 36 of Matthew 13. Explain the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom, and the weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Then the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the, like the, sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears to hear should listen and understand. So Jesus explains that he, he is the son of man. Jesus always refers to himself as the son of man. So Jesus explains that he has come into the world, which is the field, to sow good seeds, the word of God, and all those who hear and receive and believe are the good seed that grow into wheat. And those that reject, scorn, mock, and persecute are the ones who refuse to repent and believe, are weeds belonging to the enemy. 
And so the very first point we can make is this. Evil is still present and active even though the kingdom has arrived. Alongside the power of the kingdom of God, another power, an illegitimate power is at work. And Jesus tells us plainly that the evil one, the devil, has planted weeds in the wheat. And so Jesus actually sort of gives us a really simplistic explanation to the problem of evil. There's an enemy in this world. There's an enemy in this world who sows evil amongst, sows weeds amongst the wheat. And Jesus sort of leaves it at that. So the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the domain of darkness, this world. But the enemy still resists for a time until Jesus comes again. And like the servants in the parable, we want to know, how did this happen? How did the evil get here? How did the weeds get into the good wheat? That's what they're asking, right? And we could ask a lot of why questions here. Why does God allow Satan any power? Why, doesn't he, why didn't he just come and destroy the devil's work completely? And Jesus doesn't answer these questions, but here's what we do learn from Jesus' answer. First, the kingdom of God is present, even though judgment is not taking place, because the ministry of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit proves that the kingdom's existence is here. It's here and now. Second, as long as people are continually being transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God is here and active. That's the proof that the kingdom of God is right here, right now. There's people being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. The presence of evil is not evidence that the kingdom is not at work. Well, this is not the time for judgment. Judgment will certainly come. The kingdom of God will cause a sifting, a separation of good and evil. And finally, we also learn that God is not the only one at work in this world. And not all actions in this world can be attributed to God. I don't know if you've realized this, but God often gets blamed for every single terrible event that occurs, but he is not the cause of every event. Evil that happens that can only be identified as the work of the enemy who has access to the field. An enemy did this. And I think that's a really important uh, distinction. That could be a little bit frustrating to us because of how simple the explanation is, but it gets to a fundamentally important truth. God did not and does not do evil. Because I've heard this so many times. That someone will come to me, you know, relaying some sort of horrible abuse they've gone through or some kind of horrible tragedy, that senseless tragedy that happened. They'll be like, my other pastor said that God must have let that happen to me for a reason. And I'm going, God is not the author of evil. So when you were assaulted as a child, that was not God's plan for you. Because that makes God the author and the agent of evil. And our God is not the author or agent of evil. An enemy did this. That's a really important distinction and truth. So Klein Snodgrass puts it like this. He says, Christians should be neither surprised at nor unaware of the fact that evil is active at the same time that God's reign is. The kingdom comes with limitless grace in the midst of an evil world. The new age has dawned in the midst of the old, but the old is not removed. God is still sowing a people, and we are called to respond. So the kingdom of God is here right now. And we, who are the believers of Jesus, the children of light, we are part of that kingdom. The world is not in the kingdom, but the kingdom has come into the world. And we are not physically taken out of the world, but we know spiritually we live in the kingdom of God while inhabiting physically this world. 
And Jesus has told us he's left us in this world. Jesus, in his prayer for us, says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So what Jesus is saying is that once we put our faith in him, we transfer from the domain of darkness, this world, into the kingdom of light, his son, which is a spiritual kingdom. You can't see visible signs of it. You can't say, here it is, but we are a part of it. And now we come, perhaps, to the main question. With the servants, we say, okay, The weeds, evil, are in the field, the world, because your enemy, the devil, has sown them. So what do you want us to do about it? The servants in the parable asked the farmer, do you want us to go and pull the weeds up? We think, as do the servants, if this evil exists, should we not go and remove it? Shouldn't we go and make the field pure wheat? If evil is anti-God, then God would surely want us to remove evil from the field. But Jesus responds, and Jesus says, the farmer is the son of man, the son of man is Jesus. So Jesus says to his servants, no. He replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat into the barn. But I think the biggest question is, why not? Why can't we go and pull out all the weeds? Why can't we go deal with the problem of evil? Okay, so let's go a little bit deeper into understanding the context of this parable. Jesus is saying the weeds that Jesus is saying is sown amongst the wheat by the enemy is a weed known as darnel. Darnel looks a lot like wheat, especially when it's first growing. In those first few weeks of the weeds and the wheat coming up together, it would be almost impossible to tell which is the wheat and which is the weed. They look identical. You can actually go on Google and search Darnell, and they'll actually show you images of wheat and Darnell next to each other, and you cannot tell the difference in the early growing season. They look almost identical. And so to go into the field too soon, you would risk pulling up the wheat instead of the weeds, because you wouldn't be able to differentiate. You wouldn't know. However, there's another problem in dealing with these weeds. The wheat in the region where Jesus is had a shallow root, but these weeds, these Darnell weeds, had deeper roots. So if you pull the weeds out, Even once you can identify them, if you pull the weeds out, you'll most likely destroy the roots of the wheat in your removal because the deeper roots of the darnel will wreck the roots of the weed, of the wheat. But the farmer seems confident that even though these are growing up together, at the end, he will simply separate them at the end during harvest time. So now keep in mind this idea that the weed, the darnel weed, is a counterfeit wheat. It looks like wheat, it grows like wheat, but it is certainly not wheat. And what this tells us is that the enemy in this story is not able to root out the good seeds sown by the farmer, because Jesus says, no one can pluck them out of my hand. So the enemy is only able to sow bad seed right in the middle of the wheat and confuse the workers. In the parable from last week, the parable about the soil, we saw that the enemy was, was vigilant to take away any seed that fell on the hard path. And we could also infer that it's the enemy. He uses stones and thorns to choke out our receptivity to the word of God. And in this parable this week, we pick up where the parable of the soil leaves off. That if the enemy cannot stop the seed from growing, he works next to distract the workers from their, pre- from their preoccupation with the word by overwhelming them with a loathing of evil. Let me unpack that idea. Frederick Bruner puts it like this. If the enemy cannot strike the root, he will smash the fruit, and if he cannot hinder faith, he will corrupt our love. And this statement from Bruner leads us to the why question. Why does Jesus want evil to be left alone? Why take that risk? 
One answer is because in our zealous pursuit of purity or righteousness, we humans often destroy the wheat with the weeds. We either pick the wrong thing out or we pull the roots of the wheat out with the weeds. We corrupt the wheat. So we see that this happened in the opening stories I told, right? Christians who killed other Christians in their zealous pursuit of goodness, right? They, they were so focused on keeping the church pure and free from evil that they committed great evil themselves. And in fact, they targeted the wrong things. What they were saying was evil was not actually evil. And so it is much safer in one sense to wait for Jesus to do the judging for he's the one who knows all things. Now we push back on that idea because we say, well, certainly we must know what is good and what is evil. And if something is evil, we must stand against it. And I fully agree with you. And scripture would agree with that. We certainly can know what is good and what is evil and we are to stand against evil. But perhaps we stand against evil in a different way than we often imagine we should. We must stand against evil with the values of the kingdom of God and not with the weapons of the world. This is crucial for us to understand. We tend to want to fight fire with fire. We tend to fight hatred with hatred and violence with violence, which generally leads to cycles of violence, injustice, and oppression. But there is a better way. And the way is the way of the kingdom of God. Frederick Bruner warns us, let the parable of the weeds warn disciples that the enemy loves nothing better than open conflict on open fields of battle by a church armed with the enemy's weapons. Enticing us to fight evil with evil might be part of the enemy's plan, says Robert Capone. He writes this, this is exactly the enemy's plan all along. The devil has no power against goodness in and of itself. The wheat is in the field, the kingdom is in the world, and there's not a thing he can do about any of it. Evil, like Darnell Weeds, is a counterfeit of reality, not reality itself. However, it turns out the enemy depends on the forces of goodness insofar as he can sucker them into taking up arms against the confusion he has introduced to do his work. He simply sprinkles around a generous helping of darkness and waits for the children of light to get flustered enough to do the job for him. And I think that's actually what you see through history is Christians in their zealous pursuit to rid the field of weeds, they end up corrupting themselves in the process. They end up doing great evil in the process. And so we ask, well, what are we to do then? Are we just supposed to sit around waiting for divine justice? Well, in one sense, the answer is yes, because Jesus has the wisdom. He has the righteous, righteous judgment. He will, when he returns, judge all people and justice will ultimately be done. So there is in this parable a warning against vengeance. As the Apostle Paul would tell us, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the warning from Paul there goes right along with the warning in this parable. Be careful, because in your zealous pursuit to rid the world of evil, you may become evil yourself. You may do evil in your pursuit of good. So don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. So here we have an answer to our burning question. What should we do about the evil we see in the world? Here's the answer. Live our lives in accordance with the ways of Jesus, in line with the values of God's kingdom. Show the world the goodness of God, the love of the Father, the mercy of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
because too often the church has been complicit in choosing the weapons of the world, and we fight evil with evil. Do not do this, says Paul. In a field filled with weeds, over time the wheat will eventually stand out. We might be tangled up in the weeds, but the farmer says he will be able to identify us by the fruit that we bear. So here's what happens. By the time of the harvest, the Darnell weed does not bear heavy heads of wheat and fruit. And so the Darnell weed stands straight up, proud and upright. But the wheat, the true wheat, when it grows properly, it has a full head of wheat kernels, fruit. It bears fruit, and it starts to bow. And it bows down towards the farmer. And the farmer can identify which is the wheat and which is the weed by the one that is bowing. So once again, we are back to this. How do we stand against evil in this world? We are to bear fruit. Be more concerned with bearing spiritual fruit than with the evil you see around you. Because remember, in your human weakness and flaw, what you see as evil might not be so. Again, those Christians who killed other Christians for baptizing people wrong sincerely believe they're doing the right thing. They believe that God would reward them for their diligence. They believe God was on their side. So we need to be careful because we might deal with evil in a way that makes us a partner with evil ourselves. So instead of being so focused on the evil around us, let us be more focused on living such good lives, bearing such a heavy yield of spiritual fruit that the farmer can clearly see that we are the good wheat. I think we can take a look at Martin Luther King Jr. for how this plays out in the real world. It wasn't that long ago in the United States you had the Jim Crow laws that were legalizing segregation practices. There was the KKK and bombings and beatings and voter intimidation and white adults screaming at little black girls as they tried to go into schools. And in the face of this type of evil, which is evil, we can identify injustice on that scale as evil. We know it is evil. Well, there's two ways you can go about this. One way is you could rise up, take power, fight back, and then oppress the ones who oppressed you because they deserve it. You could try and destroy the ones who destroyed you. You could try that. That's the way of the world. You see the cycles of violence in our world constantly perpetuate that. Or you could resist evil with goodness. Such radical goodness that it shines a light on the darkness of the evil actions. And that is the path that Martin Luther King Jr. took. It was the path of the kingdom of God to resist by nonviolent action, to let the oppressor's conscience be seared by their own evil actions. This is the way of the cross. The cross is foolishness to some because it says, lay down your life so that many may find life. As Dr. King famously said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate, violence multiplies violence. Toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. The chain reaction of evil, hate begetting hate, wars producing more wars must be broken or we should be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. So the point is, we must stand against evil. We must stand against things like injustice. But we can't do it with the weapons of the world. We will only become evil ourselves if we engage in these things. So what we must do by the power of the Holy Spirit is live such radically good and different lives, loving even those who would be our enemies, that our goodness shines a light on the darkness and draws people out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Will we suffer if we live this way? Of course. Of course we will. Will we yearn to see justice done? Of course. But Jesus promises us that we will see ultimate justice and judgment done. One day all things will be put right. 
And I think sometimes we have too limited of a view of what it means when all things will be put right. Those who suffer now, those who mourn now will be blessed. Those who have experienced great injustice, the meek will inherit the earth. And so we are to be wheat in the field, goodness in the world, and that's how we stand against evil, by being goodness in the world. I think of every church like an outpost to the kingdom of God, shining light into the domain of darkness, drawing more people into the kingdom of light as we do the work of the kingdom here on earth. Now, I want to be clear about something. We're not taking over this world for Jesus. We don't have to. That's not our job. One day, King Jesus is going to return and all the world will be put right. But it's not you or I that are going to bring in that particular victory. Our role isn't to bring in the final kingdom. That's not what we do. But what we do is we show people what the kingdom of God is like right here, right now, because we belong to it, we live in it, and we invite others to enter it with us. We are to live as citizens of God's kingdom, living out the values of God's kingdom in the midst of the weeds. This means we go out and find the ones who've been hurt, oppressed, victimized. We bring the healing and restoring presence of Jesus to these people. Programs like Freedom 8848 that raises money for organizations like International Justice Mission or Next Step Ministries, those are the ways we stand against evil. By naming it, by talking to governments about it, and by making sure there's practical places for people to be cared for. But we also see the aggressors, the ones who have hurt others and done injustice. And to them, we must preach a gospel of repentance, that godly sorrow with repentance of sin will lead to forgiveness, freedom from sin, and a new life in Christ. This is maybe the harder one. I was just watching um, a travel documentary about a guy who went to South Sudan, which is the world's newest country. And South Sudan, as soon as it became a country, was ripped apart by civil war, by different factions vying for power, and caught in the crossfire of that are children starving and dying and being recruited as child soldiers. And so I really struggle with this one, that to the aggressors, we preach a gospel of repentance. That's hard for me because my sense of justice, I kind of just want to see those people die, those who cause so much harm upon others. And ultimately, what I must do is trust that the God of justice will do justice. Because if I try and take justice into my own hands, then I will become evil. There's a fascinating documentary. I think it's on Right Now Media, if you want to check it out. It's called The Free Burma Rangers. And uh, I won't go into the whole thing, but basically it's an aid organization that, that can go to the front lines of fighting and distribute aid to people. And they were invited to come to Iraq uh, when ISIS was being pushed out because no other aid group was going to go to the front lines, but they would. And there's a scene where they liberate this little farming village. And, and everyone's so happy that ISIS has been pushed away and a family is going to leave their farm for the first time ever and go into the city to get some supplies that they desperately need. ISIS left landmines on their way. And a three-year-old girl is killed by a landmine. And this, this Christian man who started this aid organization says, that's it, the mission has changed, now we just kill ISIS. We're on the front lines, we've got weapons, now we hunt them. And, and, and you're like, yes, that's what should happen. Justice should be done. And then it kind of cuts to the next day, and he's like, I was up all night. And I was praying, and I was praying, and I was praying, and the Lord kept bringing me back. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so he says, we won't kill ISIS. We will continue to do good in the face of their evil. 
we'll continue to distribute aid and, and uh, well-being and, and children's programming right in the middle of the battlefield. That, this is a hard one, though, because we can see the injustice. And yet God's desire is that all would come to repentance. Because at the end of the day, God's, God's greatest heart is that even those who perpetrate great evil would become aware of their evil, turn from it, and follow him. And there would be great rejoicing that the one who did great evil is now the one who does much good. I think the Apostle Paul would attest to that. But this is how we stand against evil. By inviting people out of the darkness into the light. By caring for those who've been hurt by this world and by the evil done to them. By feeding the hungry and caring for the poor. By speaking out against injustice and evil. We stand against evil by bearing spiritual fruit in our world. And I envision the body of Christ, the church, is forming this alternative community that looks nothing like the world around it. And this light on a hill will attract some and be mocked by some, but we must endeavor to look like Jesus. We remember that we are in the world, but not of the world, just as Jesus was. I think whenever we think that our main job is to get rid of the weeds in the field, we tend to muck it all up. And we actually hinder the work of God's kingdom rather than advancing it. Instead, we are to live out the values of the kingdom, but leave the weeds to God. We resist evil by refusing to let evil prevent us from bearing spiritual fruit. And this spiritual fruit will be a blessing to those around us who need to know what God's kingdom is. Mick Turner describes a church like this. The church is meant to be an alternative community, a place where new principles, values, and interpersonal ethics are lived out in healthy, balanced social relationships. If we are faithful to living by kingdom principles, people will take notice and naturally be drawn to the peace, justice, and grace that they see lived out in this alternative society. It was this very reality that led to the widespread success of the early church. So the values of the kingdom of God are best lived out in community, in a spiritual family. And these Jesus-formed and Jesus-led communities show the world an alternative way, a way that is filled with peace, grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, justice, wholeness, and love abounding. I'm gonna call the worship team up as we close here today. But here's, I think, one of the things we can take away from this parable. And again, it's a parable, so you can read it for yourself and take away all number of things. But here's what we can take away from this parable. Number one, refuse to participate in the ways of the world that lead to anger, division, anxiety, and fear. These are the weapons of the world. Simply reject the voices that lead you to hatred or ungodly anger. Number two, rest in Jesus. Find your peace and assurance in his presence and his promises. And number three, represent the kingdom of Jesus. Determined to be known by your love, your gentleness, and your respect. Be conscious of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you to bear spiritual fruit in your life. And finally, listen to the voice of Jesus over any other voice. He's going to lead you well. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, you have put into us a desire to see justice done. And we can see evil all over our world. But Lord, I pray we wouldn't be so fixated on evil that we become evil ourselves. But I pray that we would become fixated on you because you are the one who does justice. You are the one who leads us to right paths and righteous places. So let us keep our eyes fixed upon you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would produce in us spiritual fruit spiritual fruit that would stand against the evil and the injustice and the work of the enemy that we see, and that many would then be transferred to the, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
I ask that you would empower us to do this because we yearn to see justice done, your kingdom come, your will be done. And Lord, you have asked us to be your partners in going out and bringing the message of the kingdom. And so Lord Jesus, would you empower us by your spirit to do the work that you created us anew to do so that your kingdom would advance, so that the domain of darkness would deplete and the kingdom of your dear son would grow. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.